Welcome to Old Books with Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond, medievalist, writer, and huge fan of the metaphysical poets. We're in the middle of our pilgrimage in week two of an Advent series focusing on Advent and Christmas poetry. Here we sit among an alien people. Even stranger, we are unfathomably alien to ourselves after T.S. Eliot's The Journey of the Magi last week. We know that we're pilgrims, and that as pilgrims we wend our way to death and via death, life in utter fullness. And here, the 17th century poet and cleric George Herbert breaks in and proclaims, Away, despair! Yes, today in this second installment of the Advent series, we're reading together one of my favorite poets, George Herbert, specifically his beautiful, winsome poem, The Bag. If your alien pilgrim status is wearing a bit heavy these days, like mine, Herbert is here for us. George Herbert was born in 1593 in Montgomery, Wales. His father died when he was young, and his capable, talented mother, Magdalene Herbert, moved the family around, going back to the Shropshire of her birth, then on to London and Oxford to make sure that her children acquired adequate educations. Herbert and his mother were very close. When she died, the very famous John Donne gave her funeral sermon. Amidst financial problems and career confusion, George Herbert struggled to find his place in the world as an adult. He published only one volume of poetry while he was alive. In fact, all the fame and popularity of his great volume of poetry, The Temple, came only after his death. Herbert married Jane Danvers in 1629 and became an ordained priest serving at Beamerton, but died only a few years later in 1633, a month shy of his 40th birthday. Today we're reading The Bag, which is one of Herbert's poems from the temple. And by the way, I have to thank Sarah Clarkson for reminding me of this poem when I asked her about her favorite Advent poetry. It's a good one. George Herbert is known for his conceits, is what they're called. The unusual wordplay, metaphors, and language pictures throughout his poetry. This interest in conceits is what groups Herbert with other 17th century poets that include John Donne, Henry Vaughan, Andrew Marvel, Crayshaw, and others. These poets are sometimes called the metaphysical poets. And as we read, attend to the conceits that Herbert uses to draw out subtle meaning in his often very spare poetry. He's especially known for using homey, commonplace imagery. What can this combination of familiarity and strangeness reveal to you? Let's listen to the bag. Away, despair, my gracious Lord doth hear. The winds and waves assault my keel, he doth preserve it, he doth steer. Even when the boat seems most to reel. Storms are the triumph of his art. Well may he close his eyes, but not his heart. Hast thou not heard that my Lord Jesus died? Then let me tell you a strange story. The God of power, as he did ride in his majestic robes of glory, reserved to light 
And so, one day, he did descend, undressing all the way. The stars, his tire of light and rings obtained, the cloud his bow, the fire his spear, the sky his azure mantle gained. And when they asked what he would wear, he smiled and said, as he did go, he had new clothes a-making here below. When he was come, as travelers are wont, he did repair unto an inn, both then and after, many a brunt he did endure to cancel sin. And having given the rest before, here he gave up his life to pay our score. But as he was returning, there came one that ran upon him with a spear. He who came hither all alone, bringing nor man, nor arms, nor fear, received the blow upon his side, and straight he turned, and to his brethren cried, If ye have anything to send or write, I have no bag, but here is room. Unto my father's hands and sight, believe me, it shall safely come. That I shall mind what you impart. Look, you may put it very near my heart. Or, if hereafter any of my friends will use me in this kind, the door shall still be open. What he sends, I will present, and somewhat more, not to his hurt. Sighs will convey anything to me. Hark, despair away. One of the reasons I love Herbert is that he constantly blends scripture, these word patterns called conceits, and daily life together in a potent mixture. The poem opens with the command to despair. Away, despair. Despair is tempting in the pitching, rocking, seemingly out-of-control boats in storms. There's no way out of a bad storm in a boat. One must simply ride it out or descend the seafloor. Storms, of course, are a familiar word picture for life's struggles. The reader considers what she endures in her daily life, what trials we undergo in our pitching boats. Yet with Christ at the helm, the storm is never the final word. Herbert transports us to the Sea of Galilee in the Synoptic Gospels, when Jesus calms the wind and the waves after the disciples wake him in terror from their slumber. I love this line. Storms are the triumph of his art. Well may he close his eyes, but not his heart. This idea of Christ's open heart will return. I think the natural response to a statement like this is to wonder how such a thing may be. What does it mean when we think about storms are the triumph of his art and that he doesn't close his heart? This is what Herbert sets out to explore. He moves into a narrative, addressing a listener directly, preparing them for his strange story of the Lord who died. It is strange. We meet the God of power who undresses. And this is Herbert's portrait of incarnation. Clothes have long been associated with power. For many years, certain colors were reserved for the wealthy, Um, And so sumptuary laws is what they were called. They made some styles and adornments illegal to lower classes. And of course, (laughs) we know uh, armor is associated with power and coming armored to a peace talk was never a sign of benignity. 
Today, in more contemporary terms, we talk of power suits, dressing to impress, dressing for the job you want, and of course, the classic slaying. On the opposite side of things, nakedness is deeply vulnerable. One of my favorite questions for people um, is what their stress dreams look like, because most of us tend to have the same dream over and over in times of stress. Mine is the naked dream, which I know I share with many people. When I was in school, and still today, far out of school, every night before the first day of classes, I would dream that I showed up to class and then realized that I was horrifyingly and inexplicably topless. For the god of power to undress surprises us with its familiarity with human weakness, with the vulnerability of a body, with the exposure that we face. For the god of power to undress concretizes the relinquishing of divine power in the incarnation. The cosmic god, as Herbert portrays, conventionally attired in things like flaming glory and gleaming rings and azure robes, sheds his clothes and haphazardly throws them to stars, skies, fire. These cosmic glories themselves ask God what he will wear, and God smiles. New clothes are being made. He's being knit together in Mary's womb. And God's new clothes are the nakedness of a tiny human body. To me, this speaks of the gentleness of Herbert's Jesus, of the vulnerability of the incarnation, and even, in a funny way, the embarrassment of it. And I don't mean that God is embarrassed, but this level of vulnerability is humiliating for us, and for God to share it with us, transforms it. Then, Herbert compresses time and space, as other great mystical writers like Julian of Norwich have done when thinking of the Incarnation, combining Christ's birth with his death in one moment. When he was come, as travelers are wont, he did repair unto an inn. Mary and Joseph were, of course, turned away from the inn, but Herbert expands the scriptural story to emphasize the pilgrim God who shares our pilgrim status. Christ comes to the in-between place of pilgrims, the place where you have not arrived yet at your destination, an inn. Having nothing left, he also gives his life at the inn to discharge our own debts there. Fascinatingly, strangely, this almost takes the form of a bar fight as he endures many brunts, many blows at this rough way place, and then, as he leaves, is pierced by a spear. Now comes the conceit that the poem is named for, the bag. For Christ himself becomes, of all things, a mailbag. I'll read these final two stanzas again, slowly. If ye have anything to send or write, I have no bag, but here is room. Unto my Father's hands and sight, believe me, it shall safely come. That I shall mind what you impart. Look, 
you may put it very near my heart. Or if hereafter any of my friends will use me in this kind, the door shall still be open. What he sends I will present, and something more, not to his hurt. Size will convey anything to me. Dis- hark, despair away. As I was writing this episode, I was almost paralyzed by the multiplicity of themes and history contained in this simple-seeming moment, though Herbert himself brings these themes to an unusual word picture, which is Christ's body as a humble mailbag. Stick your prayers, or even just sighs, inside his wound, near his heart. In medieval devotion... Christ's side wound had long been venerated as the entryway to his heart. The roots of the contemporary Roman Catholic devotion to the Sacred Heart lie in these traditions. For medieval writers like Julian of Norwich, or the anonymous poet of the lyric poem Chia Amore Linguio, Christ's side wound becomes a home, a nest of safety and love into which Christ's lovers are invited. It has traditionally been a wound of welcoming. But in this poem, it's not that we enter into it ourselves. Instead, we put messages into it. It is a bag. Here, the body of Christ becomes aligned with the work of the Holy Spirit in the present day. As Romans 8.26 has it in the King James Version of Herbert's own time and place. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Hark, despair away. Herbert reminds us that Christ knows what we need even when we cannot express it, and what's more, it will always be received with love and placed near to his heart. There's another and quite different long-standing tradition in considering the human body as a sack or a bag. I've written about this before because it turns up in the weirdest, most unexpected places. In traditions of writing about penance, increasing awareness of one's sins in order to participate fully in the sacrament of confession, the human body is sometimes called a vas stercorum, which is Latin from a very famous quote by St. Bernard of Clairvaux in the Middle Ages. This is a negative Latin term, which translates to vessel of excrement, (laughs) a bag of dung, or really a ruder word than dung or excrement. John Donne, George Herbert's friend and near contemporary, quotes Bernard's words in a sermon. So even though it was a medieval tradition, This phrase was well-known and well-used. The idea of our bodies as um, vessels of excrement or bags of dung are reminders meant to call attention to the transient and failing nature of our creative bodies. Herbert takes this image, this body-as-a-bag tradition, and flips it on its head. To call the body... The bag carries negative resonances and histories, 
unexpectedly transformed in the context of the poem. Instead of being full of excrement, this body is a vessel of mercy, stuffed with our yearning and barely articulate needs and sighs. The body of Christ becomes the antidote to despair. In a dizzying array of transforming, shifting metaphors, Christ is like us, a flesh bag. Then he becomes a mailbag, the open door, the intercessor and translator of desire and need. Herbert has another interesting and different pilgrim-themed Christmas poem. And in it, he writes a beautiful poem prayer that I want to share with you as conclusion to this little Advent episode on Herbert. He writes, Furnish and deck my soul that thou mayest have a better lodging than a rack or grave. Rack is a synonym for a trough or a manger. And I love this as an Advent prayer this week as we continue to prepare for Christmas. Furnish and deck my soul, O God, just as I deck my halls in preparation for your arrival. Herbert reverses the imagery of the bag of entering into the hidden heart of God. In his poem, Christmas, God also enters into our own hidden hearts. Let me be a better lodging than the manger or the grave. Away, despair. If I ask this, it will be done, because my request lodges close to Christ's heart. Thanks again for listening to Old Books with Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond, and if you'd like to find more of my work, I have a monthly Substack newsletter called Medievalish that's free and covers writers like George Herbert and other medieval and early modern folks. The paid tier of that Substack offers access to a book club in which I upload videos of myself lecturing in more detail on these medieval and early modern works. Right now we're reading Julian of Norwich together, and I'd love for you to join us. You can also find me on social media, on Twitter at Grace Hammond PhD and on Instagram at Old Books with Grace. I'd love to connect and hear your thoughts about this episode or answer questions about old books. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd also deeply appreciate it if you left a rating or review on the platform of your choice. It helps me out a lot. Next week, we'll be covering the delightful Cristina Rossetti poem in the bleak midwinter and the Middle English masterpiece by William Langland, Pierce Plowman, together. I can't wait to share it with you. Thanks again for listening. Oh,